HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. or rather good afternoon, happy spring. This is Severin. I'm your host once again for another episode of Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers coming to you live today from the Hudson Valley where the snow is melting. And I'm joined on the phone by Scott in Squim, Washington. Scott, are you on the phone? I am. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um. I'm interested to talk with you today about Nash's Organic Produce and your work there and your career trajectory thus far as a young producer. And I thought maybe you could just start with a tiny introduction of Nash's for those of us who aren't in the food shed that, that you feed um, to give us some understanding of how important um, that farm is in, in your home scene there. Sure. Um... So we're on the north part of the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State, um, about two hours west of Seattle, Washington, and um, we're located in a nice little rain shadow, so we get less rainfall than a lot of the rest of the Puget Sound, which is important in being able to farm during the wintertime and provide food to the greater Puget Sound. Um, we're managing about 400 acres and growing about 150 in vegetables every year that are certified organic, and the rest is made up in um, mostly grains and a little bit of hay and a little bit of pigs and chickens. Holy smokes. So let's interpret a little bit further for our audience. 150 acres in organic fruits and vegetables. What does that translate into in terms of trucks on the road and, and people working? Well, we're, we have a, almost 40 people during the peak of the season in the late summer working on the farm. Um, right now we've got over 20 people that are part-time all through the winter. We sell into a variety of markets from having a CSA that's most all year round to um, selling at year-round farmer's markets, driving to Seattle once a week for that, as well as a few local markets, um, and shipping produce through the wholesale chains to a chain of co-ops in Seattle, as well as um, a distributor that sells around Washington, Oregon, and even up into British Columbia. 
So among among in your area, you are among kind of what kind of a handful of farms of your same size and scope? Um, there might be um, in Washington and Oregon half a dozen farms that are certified organic, operate on the scale that we are, and um, feeding food into the wholesale marketplace as well as direct marketing the way that we are. Wow. And so now I don't wanna I don't wanna go too long about Nash's but I do I wanna know what it was about Nash's that made you want to work for them and, and then how you got there. Like what was your um your own personal story to get to the place where you are now in charge of so many moving parts? Um I started just out of curiosity for agriculture as a as a way of life, but in particular um, organic agriculture, and I grew up in the area, and when I realized that I wanted to find out what farming was all about, I wanted to do it organically. There weren't a lot of options in the area, and so Nash's was the really the first place that I came, and um, I quickly realized that a lot of the beliefs that Nash held about why he was farming really fell in line with um, some of the things that I that I felt. And so when you were growing up, you were watching that business of his grow and grow, or what was what were people in the town saying um, as he was claiming field after field and putting his little Nash sign on it? Well, at that point, it was much smaller than it is today. Um, you know, it was only a little over 50 acres at the point that I started working on the farm, and so it was a it had a smaller impact, but still a distinct one in the community. Um, but as the uh, as the awareness of local food has changed over time, as the farm has grown and there's become a lot more um, local awareness. The at that when I first started, you know, ninety percent of the food was being shipped out of the local area to Seattle and beyond in the wholesale marketplace. That's roughly shifted as we've grown to larger acreage. Uh, shifted to only about 60% goes wholesale, so there's a much greater awareness um, by the consumer base in the very local area. Um, people were, you know, very excited about what what Nash was doing even when I started, but it's become even more so today. Because the other farming that's going on in your in Squim Zone, there's a lot of um, range and and ranching and dairy. What, Characterize for us a little bit what what's the predominant land uses and and how I think you also have had quite some development pressure there. Correct. Um, the the historic land use was a whole range of things from strawberry production and and some different vegetable production, but largely dairy operations historically as the dairy industry changed in the in the 50s and 60s and a lot of consolidation happened it shifted to a lot of cow calf operations and hay growing operations and not much vegetable production at all um, at the same time a lot of the farmers of the younger generation of our parents age were were leaving the farm and not coming back and the real estate industry really became the boom here, and so the development pressure has been huge in the last 30 or 40 years in this area. So we've lost a huge amount of viable farmland to um, development in our area, and that's one of the things that Nash has worked so hard against is to maintain 
land as viable agricultural production and show people that it has a value to the community, not only as a food source, but also as an economic stimulus in the area. Um, and, but the pressure of, of, land, of land use is one of the hugest ones that we face, um, not just for ourselves, but for other growers in the area. Okay, so and that means, like, let's break it down in terms of per acre. The, the price of ag land around you that's for ag zoned, do you have zoning protection? Do you have a price there is, breaker that's kind there of There is some, but not very much. Um, if you wanted to look at the value of farmland, it's somewhere between three and $5,000 an acre as ag land. Um, but as housing, it's often thirty dollars to $50,000 an acre as development potential. So the discrepancy is huge. Man, that's, that's tough. So yeah, so it makes it really Nash, difficult to afford to afford land and farm it. Yeah. So so Nash started this operation and he's been building it up and and working in kind of a, a major team fashion with a lot. It seems like a lot of young people. Um, how, what's it like working, you know, with two generations on a project, and, um, and can you reflect on how it fits into your ultimate plans? Like, um, is this still a training thing for you? You're now at a management position. Are you planning on staying there forever, or, or where's the future? Well, it's, it's been a great experience for those of us that are working as a group to manage the farm because it's too big for any one individual to try and keep a handle on. So there's about five or six of us that really hold a lot of the management responsibility of the business. And it's, it's definitely a real challenge of personalities and interests and, and visions to come to a, a solid place where we all agree where we want to see the business go. But it's also a wonderful challenge to um, all work together and see it happen and see this business grow in the way that it has. Um, in the multi-generational aspect, we're super, um, we're just really blessed to have somebody with as many years of experience and understanding of agricultural workings as Nash has. He grew up as a as a farm boy in Illinois, he's been in the area doing this for a lot of years, and so we're able to draw on a lot of wisdom and don't have to recreate things um, the first time through, and that's immensely valuable for our success. Um, in terms of, of, of where I'm at personally, this has been something that I've worked towards um, wanting to continue to maintain and be part of but as I, as I look towards the future, I see that um, as it gets bigger and bigger, it might not be where I personally want to spend my time. And, you know, I'm, I may branch off and begin to do some of my own work, both with vegetables, but also with another passion of mine, which is um, organic seed production. I feel that that's, that's oh, part oh, of... Oh, this is your, great. Yeah, this is, that's a huge part of the organic puzzle that, that as an industry we all need to work towards. I'm sorry. I, sometimes I can't hear you enough, and I interrupt. It happens a little bit too much on my show. Um, can we talk about the vegetable seed breeding that's going on um, nationally among some of these most proficient of vegetable growers and why they're motivated to do that and what kind of progress and support um, 
exists so far and, and is forthcoming? Sure. Um, so we've really gotten into it because of the consolidation in the seed industry, um, just whether it's organic or not, then the number of varieties and the number of sources of those varieties has decreased dramatically um, in the last couple of decades. So being able to identify varieties that work for our systems and our climates um, and try and continue to grow those has has been um, a real challenge, but also a real inspiration. And so we've drawn on resources like Organic Seed Alliance, who operates out of Port Townsend, a nonprofit that really promotes organic growers learning to become seed stewards by being seed breeders on the farm, growing organically produced seed in and for organic systems because plants respond differently to organic systems than they do the conventional systems that most of these varieties are bred under. So um, it really makes a huge difference as an organic grower to, to maintain these varieties and improve these varieties through strategic plant breeding and um, now there's a group, the Family Farmer Seed Cooperative, that is formed out of a lot of dreams of some of these organic seed growers that will be a great marketing arm for a lot of small producers because we grow a huge number of vegetables and a lot of varieties of those, and we cannot ourselves grow all these different things. But if we can all work together and focus on the seed varieties of crops that our climate is specifically suited for and do a really good job with those and through the cooperative be able to market them to other organic growers, meanwhile be able to source other varieties of other things that grow, uh, different growers are producing, then we can all have the best of organic seed production. Now, I was um, personally uh, involved in a taste test of carrots um, that was done. It was a grant that was funded to basically trial out older varieties and all the different varieties of carrots to see which ones tasted well and which ones yielded well in different climates. And mm -hmm. it was a partnership between farmers and researchers that I felt like was such a super positive example of how the government or the land-grant system could be best supportive of small growers and local food production and the durability of our um, agricultural landscape. And I wanted to know... If it's true, then, that all these seeds have become more difficult to find and there is such a demand, um, why, isn't the, why isn't the marketplace um, meeting those? I mean, why aren't the seed companies offering these varieties? Is it not enough? Part of it, in, in my opinion, has to do with demand. The reality of it, and it's kind of a bummer that it's this way, is that the organic sector, if you look at the entire agricultural economy, is still a relatively small percentage. So from a seed company perspective, the money still isn't in developing varieties that taste really good for uh, smaller organic growers. The volume just isn't there, and so they're still focused on large conventional systems that are doing hundreds if not thousands of acres of things and trying to find varieties that are very broadly accepted across a whole range of areas and markets. So the varieties that, they're, that the commercial seed producers are growing for and aiming for with their breeding, tech, with their breeding trials is a very adaptable and very consistent 
and very uniform, or maybe you could describe what the characters are that they're looking for versus what you're looking for. Yeah, I think that you you definitely hit some of those ones, consistency, uniformity, um, a real timed, uh, concise harvest window, and maybe particular agronomic traits that they have. Um, but if we can use carrots as, as an example, they might be looking for carrots that are very uniform size and shape that don't shatter what um, under shipping conditions so that they can pack them in big boxes and ship them across the country and they'll store relatively well because they're a little denser and more dry versus we're looking for a carrot that we're going to sell directly to the consumer or there's only going to be a, a small number of stores in our area that will have it and the consumer will be taking a bite of it smiling and saying, that's a really good, juicy, tender carrot, and it has Nash's name on it, and there's a really direct link between us and them and the flavor of that food. And that's really the key point where um, we differ from the conventional breeding system is we're really going for flavor and market recognition where they're just trying to broadly market seeds to as many people as they possibly can. And so, in a sense, it makes a big difference to your business as a farm who relies on that direct marketing market niche and the um, the bigger share of the consumer's food dollar that you'll get because you have that small farm quality of product. And that if you don't have a reliable seed supply, um, it, it jeopardizes that experience of the consumer. Most definitely. And it's not just carrots. It's a lot of different things, and it's not just our farm. There, Any small farmers that I talk to that are marketing, especially direct, um, they all have the same response. You know, it's, it's partly about the aesthetic beauty of the food, but it's mostly about the flavor experience that people are getting when they're eating that food. Um, okay, so this is this is why it's important, and there's, there's a lot of interesting... Um, resources and connections that you could be making if you were interested in seed breeding and this kind of phenomena of um, farmer and citizen action on behalf of our seed choices. Um, here's another thing we can talk about is maintaining 140 acres in vegetables means a hell of a lot of cover cropping. Could you, could you talk about, and, and you guys are known for your gorgeous and glorious cover crop and cover crop seed also. Can you talk just a yeah. little bit about the basic principles that inform that practice on your farm and, and then your philosophy on cover cropping as a powerful, well, I don't know, I think it's powerful. You don't have to decide that it's powerful. Um, it's, so we're, we're growing 100 and, you know, 140, 150 acres of vegetables every year, and our sole sources of fertility are the compost that we make on the farm and the cover crops that we grow between our cash crops. Um, and the more important of those two things is really the cover cropping that we do. You can read about it and you can, you can mentally understand the benefits, but until you put cover crop on a piece of ground and turn it in, watch it grow and turn it in and see the benefit to the soil structure and the next crops that grow there, um, you don't really understand how important it is. And so over time, we've really, really seen those benefits to the soils that we've been farming. 
And as we've grown in scale and had land access to land beyond just our annual vegetable production needs, we've um, acquired combines and started to grow all our own cover crop seed. Um, because again, in the seed world, it's next to impossible to find organically grown cover crop seed, which is a huge element. We go through more pounds of cover crop seed than we do any vegetable seed by far. And so we produce a, a huge amount of rye and vetch primarily as our cover crop that we utilize. It's a, the, the rye-vetch combo or any cereal-legume combo are wonderful in the sense that they provide a lot of biomass, but you get the legume in there to fix a lot of nitrogen out of the atmosphere and mobilize a lot of nutrients. Um, it, it just works beautifully well. And so as we've, as we've grown that part of the business, we've begun to market our cover crop seed as really our most successful grain crop that, that we sell out there to other growers. And it's available like we're selling to a local seed company that's then shipping it around to other growers as well as having just very direct relationships with people. Um, but it's this, we can fit it in as, as places that are over winter, but we also will, with access to a lot of seed, we can drop in a cover crop between uh, early spring planting and um, late summer planting um, that's for fall winter production and get six weeks of nice growth and turn it in. So we really focus on any window of time that we can putting cover crop on that ground to keep something green growing and to benefit the soils. Wow, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to slot that in in between spring and fall, holy moly, but then also to be able to interact in a transactional way with your neighbors. Um, so it's such a useful thing to be able to produce seed for other people and to have that make sense to your business and to see a business that evolves different markets and different parts of their operation really in service to the larger community and in a way that makes sense for everybody. It's kind of, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's it's great, and when we go to conferences in the fall, we get a lot of positive feedback from the other growers that have purchased our cover crop seed and have begun to use it, and they're very thankful, and so that's a really rewarding part of what we're doing, knowing that we're helping other growers improve the soils on their farms as well. So what's what's next? What's missing in your region? What are the other opportunities for logical next steps to keep moving forward with a um, regionalized food system? Hmm. Um, just young people doing it and being, being farmers, but also just continuing to get the message out there about the importance of buying local food producers. Um, that's, you know, because still there's a lot of food being shipped in from, from other areas. And so getting the public to understand um, eating a little bit more seasonally because we can't grow tomatoes, peppers, and zucchinis in the winter here. Um, but getting that word out there that there are a lot of really wonderful things that people can can be buying and eating that are produced locally throughout the year here is one of the biggest things that can be done. Um, but then just getting other other farmers. Every time there's another choice in the marketplace out there, it seems that eaters that are shopping are more excited about it. So you heard it here first, more more eaters of good food, more growers of good food. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to make sure you had a chance to just tag those resources again, um, 
your own Nashes and then maybe Organic Seed Alliance or the Growers Group, um, just to let folks who are interested to do some research on this? Um, yeah, the, the Organic Seed Alliance out of Port Townsend and um, the Family Farmer Seed Cooperative, which is really just in its inception right now, but has a seed list available for for seeds that can be purchased for this upcoming season, and it will continue to be growing dramatically in the next couple of years, um, as well as something that uh, is up and coming, a Seed Matters initiative um, to help raise awareness of um, the importance of seed in our agricultural systems today. And so you can go online and see Seed Matters. Um, and then if people are in the Northwest, um, they're, the PCC stores, which is a chain of cooperatives that we sell to, um, had an offshoot of a, a farmland trust that they created to help us combat, in, and I say us in the greater Northwest, um, the development pressures on agricultural lands. And so one of the first pieces of property that they purchased was in Dungeness, and we're farming on it now. It's the Delta Farm. And so the Farmland Trust is having a tour on May 14th here in Dungeness so people can come out to Nashes and walk around some of the lands that the Land Trust has saved and get to meet some of the farmers and see where some of this food comes from. We'll follow it up with a a barn dance and party that night. Barn dance and party for everyone in anywhere 100 miles close or closer. Put your shoes on and get over there. Um, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward I look forward to seeing the cover crop when I'm next up there. All right. Sounds good. Have a happy day. Bye-bye. Bye. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. The Snacky Tunes compilation has arrived and is available for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com. This compilation features live performances from some of the hottest acts around today, including Midnight Magic, Surfer Blood, Oberhofer, and more. Again, you can download this compilation for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com, and make sure to listen to Snacky Tunes every Monday at 2 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network.